He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the 81 All Out podcast. This is Siddhartha Vaidyanathan at Sidvi on Twitter. And um, today I'm delighted to have a special guest on the show. Someone who is responsible for much of what you see on your TV screens when a cricket match is on. The ICC's executive producer of live events, Ajesh Ramachandran. A very warm welcome to the show, Ajesh. Nice to have you here. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. Uh, yeah, I should just clarify that uh, only responsible for ICC events, of course, uh, <laughs> not all the other cricket that you see. <laughs> well, I don't know yeah. if that's a good or a bad thing. Well, okay, uh, not all cricket, but the ICC events, which uh, I must admit, I mean, on a personal note, are extremely watchable events. So Ajesh has my highest respect for that. Um, so, yes, uh, Ajesh has been associated with cricket broadcasting for over 20 years. Uh, around 20 years. Uh, between 2005 and uh, 2015, he was the live producer of cricket matches during all ICC run events. And in the last seven years, he has served as an executive producer for all major ICC event broadcasts. Ajesh does a job that I know very little about. Um, you know, I, I have been in the cricket business for myself for about 20 years now, but you know, I, I speak to a lot of people about cricket and the various aspects of it. I know what a journalist does or an umpire does or what a groundsman does to a fair degree. But, uh, you know, a TV producer is something that uh, is a novelty for me. So I'm hoping to be a student in this conversation as Professor Rajesh <laughs> takes me through his uh, job. So, yes, Ajesh, uh, just to start with, I mean, if you can give me and our listeners an idea of a typical day, you know, for you, you have a match. Uh, I'm sure preparations start much earlier, but if you can just guide us through what happens from the producer's point of view. Um, of course, you can start with the executive producer and then move on to the live producer as well on a typical day of a match. So, um, typically... The, the work really starts with, with your venue inspections. Uh, um, I, I don't do them uh, myself, but, but I have a team and, and there is someone from the team who goes in these venue inspections and um, looks at the venue, sees if they are fit for purpose. Uh, generally, there'll be a bit of uh, building to do, uh, a few temporary scaffolds here and there, uh, on occasion a commentary box as well, because you're, you're always looking for a a uh, commentary space that is right behind the bowler's arm. So uh, some grounds which are which are primarily not cricket grounds obviously don't cater to things like that. So uh, the point of the venue inspection is to just make sure that everything is fit for when you arrive and have to broadcast games of cricket. Um, after that, you'd, you'd sort of be looking at crewing. You'd, you'd need to look at um, what sort of kit you want to put uh, for this event and based on the objective of, of, uh, of the tournament, what you're trying to achieve, really. Um, that's how you plan your specs. Uh, games of cricket now these days go have, have uh, up to as much as 35 cameras and um, a number of toys. So it just depends really what you want to do with that event. Sometimes you are, in, in certain cases, contractually bound to use certain specs. Uh, in other cases, you're trying to find what... Uh, specs would be best for a particular event, uh, taking everything into consideration. And 
based on that, you plan out uh, each each venue and and where you're laying the infrastructure, um, your uh, OB facilities and and equipment partner would need to figure out things like cable runs and how far the broadcast control room is from the commentary box and to various positions. So there's there's a lot of figuring out of uh, venues to be done. Uh, you also look at employing the right crew, the right uh, number firstly, and then the right people, obviously. Goes without saying, similarly, um, you need to get a commentary panel in place. So you're looking at the event again, um, and you're also looking at uh, sometimes at, at, at representation, at, uh, at finding out the best people for the job, really, uh, and looking at the kind of coverage that you want to produce. Once you have that in place, you, know, you start making your editorial plans. Um, what is your specific match day going to look like? There is a look and feel that you need to sort of decide on. And you'd be working with your graphics company to sort of uh, get the right graphics package for ICC events. We have, we like everything to look a little joined up. So uh, the sort of sub graphics of the event, the branding of the event that you see on the field is what you're likely to see reflected in the graphics package as well. We tend to make them colorful and, and, and we look at um, younger audiences and, and the, the point is always to try and get them interested. So something that would be attractive to as many people as possible, really. Uh, one of the things about an ICC TV broadcast is it's a world feed service. So essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to make the match coverage suit various tastes and sensibilities. It's not always the easiest thing. It's a one-size-fits-all sort of coverage. Um, viewers in the Indian subcontinent, uh, and that by, by that I mean most of the viewers of our coverage or indeed any cricket coverage, uh, have a certain taste uh, and, and, and slightly more conservative audiences in other parts of the world have other tastes and, and you do your best to sort of marry the two. Uh, you can't win always, but, but you try and do the best you can and uh, put, a, put a coverage out there that is, that is suitable for everyone. But I'm sure at a larger level, at a big picture level, you have a certain philosophy and I notice, at least from a completely outsider's perspective, when watching ICC events, that uh, it is not—it is a sort of a marriage between entertainment and journalism. Of course, there is a philosophical argument to be had about whether cricket is entertainment or whether it is uh, not entertainment. But I see that there is a certain journalistic bent to the coverage, um, which is, of course, like the uh, BBC of the earlier years, or you know, the classic. Uh, coverages from the past and as well as melding it with uh, sort of a modern entertainment-ish thing. Am I correct in assuming that? Is that a kind of a philosophy that drives it? Yeah, spot on really. <laughs> what we try and do most of the time is is uh, move away from calling the game, just, just uh, explaining what is happening and then move into why things are happening. So that we find is a good way to play to the strength of the talent that we have as well. Um, as, as you know, most of uh, the commentary talent we have in this day and age are former players. Uh, that's a separate uh, debate in itself, whether, uh, whether, whether that is the right way for all time in the future, but uh, at least that's the way things are now. 
Um, a lot of this talent is very, very good at sort of um, explaining various things on the field of play that sometimes we miss as lay viewers. Um, the more discerning amongst us will obviously have um, much better ideas. And I see a lot of that on Twitter, for instance. Um, uh, I, I do know that that uh, there is a, uh, a taste for a lot of analysis and appetite for analysis. And um, we find that it's something that comes very naturally to a lot of um, commentary talent as well. So it's, it's in one way, it's, it's sort of doing um, the job of explaining the game to, to viewers. Uh, and another thing it really does is it makes the commentary talent look good because um, obviously this, this is second nature to them. And a lot of the times this is what they're, Thinking in their heads, we just uh, finding the right moment for them to actually just say it on air, uh, and and it's a win-win for everyone really. Um, and as a production philosophy as well, we try and um, explain the game as much as possible. Uh, cricket is a game with a lot of nuance and a lot of complications, um, especially to, to to folks who are new to the game. Uh, it's nice to be able to uh, explain it to them and and break things down. We also try and get our commentary talent to have more simplistic explanations of, of things that could be explained in very complex ways as well. Uh, so it's a bit of both because you have to keep the, the cricket fan uh, in mind as well and the sort of thing that is expected uh, of a coverage by a, a hardcore cricket fan, but at the same time, you're trying not to alienate younger and uh, more casual viewers as well. Another thing we find is that a lot of uh, following for the game of cricket is actually following for players, especially uh, once the franchise tournaments have really come into their own. There is a huge following for players. So hero building is a very important part of, of the modern cricket coverage as well. Uh, it's not just us. It is, it is most of the uh, TV cricket broadcasters around the world uh, have understood the need to sort of build heroes and uh, champion heroes. Um, so it's, it's another way of getting especially younger and more casual, uh, fans hooked onto the sport and to watch the sports coverage. Um, so in any tournament, be it, be it a women's world cup or be it an under 19 world cup or the men's league, any, whichever one, uh, you'll always see a lot of attention given to uh, to the champions, to the to the major players, and and um, and what they do on the field of play, um, in in as a production philosophy, that is equally important as well. Uh, this exercise of hero building um, to the modern cricket uh, broadcast, I'd say. I'm saying, if I may add, villain building too. I'm not saying that is done intentionally, but it does happen. So there are two ways to look at that. You know, funnily enough, um, now that you mention it. Um, you're trying to sell a sport at the end of the day as well. You, what you're trying to do is um, find a way for people to consume sport. And, and we see that generally a positive sentiment is what keeps viewers on for longer. Um, so yes, there will be. The idea is not obviously not to criticize, but uh, the idea is to celebrate more than criticize, if that makes sense. Uh, because too much of negativity is a surefire way of getting a viewer to sort of reach for the remote and, and look for something else. 
um, especially for the more casual following and for the more um, for the younger following. Funnily enough, because there, are, let's face it. I mean, cricket now has competition from so many things that kid could spend his or her time doing a number of things, uh, putting the telly on and watching cricket. We have to make that uh, something uh, very desirable for 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 younger folks. So, um, different networks have different ways of looking at it, but um, but a lot of the networks would also tell you that that try and celebrate the achievements of the players and and make that the centerpiece rather than uh rather than something someone might have done wrong not to not address it and not to not criticize it but at the same time uh the 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 celebration of the champion has to be uh central to your project absolutely i think i think uh, uh, what what i was trying to convey is that while uh, broadcasters like you are in the business of celebrating and sort of uh, appreciating the sport the counter effect happens outside the broadcast in places like social media and in television news and other things where there is almost a necessity to create the villain because of the counterpoint but that is not in your hands so i i don't uh, expect you to do that but the other uh, interesting point that you brought up is you know how some television channels and for me personally i have noticed this in australia on their tv broadcast the intention there for whatever reason whether cricket is the num- not the number one sport or for whatever reason the intention seems to be to hold the viewer to watch till the final ball and so even if a team needs 50 runs in two overs uh which is uh, mathematically possible but uh, realistically not the commentators will always still mention that stranger things have happened in cricket or this this can happen and however absurd it sounds there is an underlying reason why they do that so is that part of your philosophy as well to keep the viewer gripped right till the end so that is an ideal situation obviously uh, you, you you try and make sure that uh, the game goes down to its to the wire down to the wire as they say uh, that that is obviously for for a broadcast uh, that is the uh, that's where you'd like every game to be however it's not always possible and uh, in in an icc tv coverage i mean chances are uh what we'll try and do is uh entertain the viewer in that if 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 a game is dead it's inevitable some games will be uh before their time uh is to try and keep the viewer entertained by getting uh more stories in uh you you try looking back at 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 a piece of archive or you'd look at some of the great performances from that game or that tournament you champion the tournament a lot uh and and format sometimes so you look at other ways to sort of keep people interested uh essentially what you're trying to do is give people a reason to stay and um and 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 different producers and different networks and different uh, productions have different ways of dealing with it but yeah i mean uh, many productions go the way of 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 you know building up that excitement even uh, if if you think the result is mathematically only possible but not really realistically possible but uh, the 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 limits of uh, batsmanship these days is also really uh, been stretched and people do I mean miracles do happen more often than they have ever done in the history of 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 cricket and run chasing especially um so yes you do you do try and build up excitement towards the end you try and 
hope that every game goes down to the wire. Even if it doesn't, you you sometimes clutch at the straws. Um, it, it's it's something that most of us do from time to time, and uh, 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 until it becomes uh, very very plain that it's it's not going to happen, uh, you always sort of uh, keep that in mind and and try and work towards that that great ending. Absolutely. So um, yeah, let's uh, sort of uh, switch back a bit. You worked uh, for many years, ten years, I think, as the live producer of a cricket match where, you know, the job would have been so much more intense on a daily basis. Um, so the question I have here is, of course, to tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about the day in the life of a, a live producer. Maybe if you want to take an example of a match, also fair enough. But also, I have a follow-up question about how very often what you see on television and what you see at the ground when you're at live at the stadium can are quite vastly different in uh, the story itself because of how, how, what the producer or the director chooses chooses to focus on in a TV broadcast. While if I'm at the ground, I'm not looking at Virat Kohli all the time, but a director may choose to pan to Virat Kohli every time he does something animated. That's just an example. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, a bit of both, if you can take us into that. Yeah. Um, the, the basic... Two big functions of, of a producer on the day before a match, and, and that day is very critical as well, is, is to make the running order and the roster for the match. Um, the roster is, there is an art to making a good roster. You have, let's say, six or seven commentators available for a 50 over game. Um, now, it's, it's up to the exec producer to have uh, rostered uh, a certain number of commentators to every game, firstly, with the right skills, because uh, there are two big skills you're looking at uh, for commentary talent. You need the leads or the callers who are the, the commentators who, who call the play. Um, and then there is the, uh, the expert or the color uh, commentator who then takes over and sort of uh, talks about what just happened. Uh, and, and usually talks over the replays as well. Um, so you need to pair them well so that so that the you always have good leads sitting with good experts. Uh, if you have two experts, it doesn't really work. If you have two leads, it doesn't really work. Um, and personally, I'm a big believer of you know getting your best leads and your best um, experts right at the top because. Um, you have the attention of most of your viewership at the, at the start of the game, and and that first stint becomes becomes really critical. Um, you you generally leave it in the hands of more experienced and um, good good leads uh, for the first couple of stints at least. And and I think you had mentioned in an interview that uh, you, you started uh, the 2011 World Cup final. One of the decisions you took was to start with Ravi Shastri early on because of the sort of the energy he gave at the start of that World Cup final, right? You had mentioned in an interview. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that, that is true. Um, there are certain voices and personalities who, who straight away demand attention. Um, and it's always good to have them at the top. Um, you're also sort of setting the tone and, and then the others have to match it. Uh, so it's 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 one way of you know not letting the broadcast flag a little bit. Uh, 
because you, you start high energy and then you're likely to sort of maintain that tempo for a while. And uh, there are these nuances which, which a producer has to really look at um, and, and plan accordingly. And the rostering is very important, especially who is calling the game home, the decisions you take at that point as well, as to how many voices you need, who are the voices you need. Um, and, and you also look at chemistry sometimes when you can afford to, which is who goes well with whom. Um, and, and that sometimes plays a part as well when you're trying to get a certain narrative or a certain story out sometimes because a lot of these um, have a lot of these commentary commentators have played cricket before sometimes against each other as well. You can play on those things. You can, you can put a piece of archive and, and, and get reactions. You can, you can talk about anecdotes when the game permits. There are various, various bits and bobs you can do with um, the right commentary talent. It's up to the producer to sort of visualize all of that early and get all the support material ready. Um, I, I like to do it on, on, on match day minus one, uh, try and work through what sort of archive I'd put the next day, what sort of stories I, I wanted to do, uh, sort of send a, a, a camera person to the nets just to see if there's anything interesting someone's practicing, try and play that out um, the next day during the game just to see if they, are, if they have been working on something. It's, it's, it's quite instructional to see what they're doing at the nets as well. And we generally tend to have um, a producer, maybe not the match producer, but a producer at the nets as well, just to see what everyone's up to, what people are practicing. It's, it's, there's a really high percentage that some of that will get translated into the match action the next day. So uh, when I you can, you try... I think the Rizwan uh, thing comes to mind in the recent T20 World yeah. Cup where the nets and the yeah. live was so similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the work of uh, one of our fine digital producers who who always has an eye out for this sort of thing. And 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 with digital expanding so much, another thing it's done is you have more resources looking at various things. So they're looking to do uh, certain kinds of content as well. So there's a lot of synergy in the way we do things, and uh, it's just easier to sort of hear about more stories and and sort of keep an eye out for things um, on on match days. So once you have your sort of like a playlist ready, um, you have a rough idea of how it's going to play out the next day. Obviously, the game will take its own course, but you need to have stories for if if this happens or if the other happens. Uh, you still need to have ways of keeping it engaging. Uh, it, it might happen that the game goes in a completely different direction to what you had imagined it would. But then the onus is on you to sort of think on your on your feet and and find ways to keep it engaging. You can get a lot of um, packages ready during the game itself uh, of events that happen in the game, and and you can shape a lot of editorial with that also. Um, in our coverage, we also do a lot of uh, signposting at at various points of the match. You almost expect to see certain things, so we we do insert those. Uh, in terms of packages, in terms of celebratory sort of montages, uh, just to keep uh, keep the pace of the broadcast um, at, at, at a reasonable level and also to sort of um, address various audience tastes. I mean, you can do 10 analysis pieces and there will still be people who are left not entertained. So sometimes um, a good slow-mo montage goes a long way in sort of 
changing the sort of tone of the broadcast for a bit and and uh, celebrating a great performance or a great piece of action um just you need to make sure that the appropriate voice is is saying the appropriate thing um during a lot of these packages so that's the other challenge you you try and work with your commentary talent to try and brief them as much as you can about what might come and quite quite a lot of them um in our world at least are are very engaged with this so once you have their buy on things become so much simpler you've tried to sort of enable a a workflow as well that that helps with um with, with this sort of editorial we also have uh, specialist analysis producers in our coverage um their job is basically to look for analysis stories and speak to the commentators and sort of uh, almost get them ready prep those and during the match obviously they'll they'll just ask the commentator what they thought about that first half hour and if there are any stories that they've spotted quite often what happens is that the commentators spot their own great analysis pieces which they might not always know how how best to sort of bring it alive but if they sometimes mention the story to to the producer or the analysis producer it's very easy to sort of uh look at get the right tools maybe it's hawkeye maybe it's maybe it's evs for replays and and maybe it's graphics or uh a specialist sort of deep dive data service that we have access to as well uh maybe it's them to just find the story and 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 just line it up with the producer and get it get it played out so um there are those types of stories as well that that develop during uh during the games um it's important for the producer and the director to be on the same wavelength always because you need to get to know your director really well uh the two of you have to work in tandem to sort of take things forward so uh the director's role is 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 a super critical one um it's very hands on and it's it's um it's probably the most important role for the day for anyone on the broadcast but the sheer number of things that the director has to chase and look after is, is just immense so you you try and make sure that the director is in a good space as well <clears throat> and that the two of you are communicating well um and and that the director knows <clears throat> what you are trying to achieve that day um and the various stories that you're prepping etc um some of them would like to do the job more on the fly but but i really recommend at least for our events that you know uh, things are rehearsed things are spoken about in advance and and everyone should really know what what the others up to on the day uh, usually a member from each of the teams give you an interview uh, before the start of the day so that if you need to insert that either in the show or during the game that's that's available to you quite often you'll have you'll find some some interesting bits coming in from those interviews which which are quite useful um you try and pre-record things like the pitch report if you can uh, the ground staff have to work on the pitch so you look at uh, an appropriate time that you worked out with them where where you have access to the pitch and and you get that done um pitch reports of course are a very inexact science um so it's also from our perspective at least um it's it's nice to go go through a bit of archive see how it has behaved in the past just to sort of look for answers as to how it might behave uh although uh, there are no certainties with most pitches 
um, and uh, you try and put your best people for the for that job on the day there. Uh, it's either people who have experience playing there or people who have a lot of experience played in a number of uh, games. You, you try and um, give your best commentary talent that job because um, it's very easy to get that wrong. So you're trying to sort of play the odds there. Um, and... and uh, there are some we experts in that regard, right? I mean, I think yeah. uh, Jeremy Coney was a master when it came to uh, reading pitches. Uh, Ravi, Ravi Shastri himself, uh, extremely good. Tony Gregg, of course, with the famous key that he used to insert. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and Jeff Boycott as well used to try the key, key technique. Um, so so there, are a, there are a number of things to look at. Um, on the morning and, and, and hopefully you've rostered accordingly. You need a very good sort of presenter or someone who can conduct ceremonies well to do the toss because <clears throat> that takes a bit of orchestrating and, 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 you know, there are a number of things to remember. It seems relatively simple, but I can assure you it's not because you're trying to hit counts as well. You're listening in your ear to your director all the time. You are listening to when the world is joining in and the world is with you, you get your cue, then you start, um, you introduce the, the two captains, the match referee, and, and, and go through the, the protocol of, of tossing the coin and calling and all of that. Then you have to keep an eye on, on, on uh, whether it was heads or tails and, and, and accurately go to the right captain with the mic. Um, and um, there are a certain number of questions that you have to ask. Um, it's easy to sometimes forget the order, but but okay, what will you do? Why are you doing that? What are the changes in your side? It, it seems simple enough, but when it's live and when there are so many voices speaking to you and there's commotion really all around you because teams are practicing, things are happening all around you. There's, there's a lot of uh, noise on the ground People are filling up the, the stands. So it's it's important that they hold their composure and um, they ask the right things and they get everything away. Uh, and, and quite often I, I really sort of am in awe of the captains as well because they're thinking of so many things themselves. They're working out things in their heads and and, and they get the right answers out and they get the, uh, the, the, the changes in the teams. That is the most tricky one for... For everyone, really. Yeah, um, yeah. many miss, so, miss them. <laughs> so the interviewers are trying to work that out. The captains are trying to work that out. The graphics operators, meanwhile, are trying to work that out as well because immediately after that, they're expecting to get the 11 out. And uh, so there are a number of people who are listening to that. And, and it's amazing how often it actually works really well when the odds are always that it shouldn't. <laughs> so... so uh, I can tell you that as somebody who's done ball-by-ball um, ball commentary on Crickinfo, I was also listening very carefully to that. And when there was I'm a mistake sure. in that, I would get so frustrated and saying, oh no, what is this? <laughs> true, true. I can only imagine. I mean, these are just the people that I see. <laughs> and uh, yeah, once that's that's done with, it's, it's, it's always a, a bit of a relief. Then you get on to the rest of the show. Uh, you have to be very careful to hit your brakes on time as well because um, 
broadcasters around the world who are obviously taking the show. They have their sponsorship commitments as well. So um, uh, all that, you need to hit times very accurately. So the presenters of these of these shows also have to be really, really very, very good and very good with time management. Um, we try and get anyone on the show listening to the director, listening to the DA, the director's assistant to sort of listen to how long they have left on a particular segment before the next feature needs to be played or before the next item needs to be played or before you need to go to a press report or whatever, just so that they know how much time approximately they have left. So they have to sort of um, answer accordingly, not too long, not too short, uh, and yet give everyone enough time. So um, along with uh, the editorial, uh, which is obviously the most important and the most central, time management becomes very critical as well because you have to hit your cues, you have to hit your times. Um, because the player walkouts happen at a certain time, no one's going to wait for you. The anthem started at a certain time, no one's going to wait for you. So you have to sort of nail those. Um, and then once the match starts, obviously you're on match board and, and all the prep that I spoke about earlier comes into play. Um, and things go, I mean, the gears just shift completely. And you're focusing on the match, on the stories of the match. Um, and you're always um, in the year of the commentators, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, so the commentators have, uh, we listen to a fascinating array of voices in their ears as they're doing the commentary as well. Some of them turn them up louder because they really like it. Uh, most commentators like to hear the ambient sounds as well and the stump mics as well because there's sometimes, especially on big match days, there is a roar and it's good if they speak above that almost uh, to hit their natural pitch and 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 they sort of adjust accordingly. Uh, <clears throat> they're listening to the director because you need to know what's coming up next. Uh, you need to be, for a commentator, you need to be watching the monitor as well because everything plays out there rather than uh, just looking uh, at the ground. Um, they listen to the producer, obviously, because the producer also cues what's coming next. And and occasionally, I mean, you can produce it many gears. Sometimes it's a very interesting stretch of play and your best that they're left to their own devices. Uh, quite often what you try and do is warn them about what's coming next because uh, there are certain protocols that you have to do. If, there's, if the ball just narrowly misses the bat, you have to get to the replay very quickly. So they might be going on another tangent, but it's up to you to sort of bring them back and warn them and tell them this is happening and speak about it. Similarly, um, at the start of every over, you'd have you'd be prepping for something new. So you'd be telling your lead commentator at least that this is coming up. Just be ready for it. Chances are you'd have discussed it before. So it's just a matter of remembering the right thing. Personally, when I was producing at least, I used to keep a preview monitor just next to their main match monitor. So that, and which I had a router for and control of. So occasionally I could play something out there for them. They could sneak a glance at it before it actually came onto the program feed, which is what everyone sees and they're expected to provide the soundtrack to. Um, so preview monitor, I mean, some producers like to keep it. Others are okay without it. I always like to sort of have, have that as a, as a crutch as well. Um, and then, um, I mean, you're, you're going with the editorial of the match. Like I said, there are certain things that you'd like to, again, talk about right at the start of the match, about the playing 11s again. There's a very good chance that a lot of the viewers will only start watching from the first ball. So just um, if there are interesting changes, interesting 
omissions are interesting, people have come in. Uh, that's that's uh, a nice bit of conversation for the start. Similarly, just a word on the conditions. You normally play a pitch hoover out, just uh, give them shots of the pitch. And uh, if, if they can, it's, it's up to those two commentators to sort of uh, uh, either talk about, I mean, just reinforce what, what was earlier on the pitch report or, or get their own thoughts in. Um, and there are a number of set pieces like that that you sort of, uh, get them into the groove of the game with. Um, and then when they're uh, calling the action, you, you, you try and sort of uh, make sure that both voices or all three voices, as the case may be, are heard equally. Sometimes it's easy for some commentators to dominate others. You just need to make sure that that's not happening always. Or if it's happening, that there's a legitimate editorial reason for why that's happening. Uh, occasionally, there are good reactions that you'll see from the dugout or or from the uh, from the dressing rooms. It's quite hard to sort of uh, point a camera there and 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 try and make out uh, expressions. But but with with the T Twenty format and with players sitting in the dugout, it's it's quite instructive. Sometimes you know they're working on a play, and then you, you go back to the coach for reactions. You see what what how they're reacting to certain plays, um, and and there are some commentators who are brilliant with that. Um, with predicting what the play is going to be. Um, and we try and tell them, sort of keep it interesting for the viewer and, and from time to time stick their necks out and just say, uh, what's the worst that can happen? Something they might either execute it differently or, or, or wrongly. But uh, it's always nice to be ahead of the game, build that sense of anticipation, uh, it's like a teaser for the next ball, really, or, or for the rest of the over. And you can't go wrong with that. Commentators there, especially a lot of the female commentators uh, at the Women's World Cup, for instance, who were who were very, very savvy with with what's what what was going on uh, on the field of play. I mean, uh, we're in a space at this point where not enough of them get enough opportunity always to show it off, but. Um, there is so much talent out there. And, and the way the modern game is played, um, whether a lot of the purists amongst us like it or not, um, analysis and matchups is such a huge part of it. Um, and it's interesting to see, especially players who've just retired and, and come into the field of commentary or players who were recently active until very recently, how they read the game is, is quite different from, from the generation before that, uh, informed by T20 cricket, no doubt. And, and the sort of, uh, I mean, cricket itself has changed um, in a lot of respects in the amount of data that is logged, in the amount of information that is available to players. So uh, a lot of the younger commentators tend to be um, informed by that. And they are very aware of the matchups and they keep an eye out for this sort of thing. So uh, quite often, uh, we're very happy to sort of uh, have a chat with the statistician or even sometimes disagree um, and, and uh, bring fresh ideas onto the table. Uh, the, the general thinking will be, okay, this matchup suggests this, so therefore uh, this should follow with that result. Except then... Some of these newly, uh, uh, recently retired uh, players who've become commentators will come and give you a fresh perspective on that, saying that, no, but this is just a bluff. 
this is what they think the teams will do. So therefore, um, this is why they're following this particular course of action. So there's a lot of um, interesting uh, recent experience that, that some of these uh, fresher talent bring to the table as well. I wanted to touch upon that one point that you brought up about the commentary and the cues that you're giving. Uh, there must be some point. I did an interview with uh, Ian Bishop uh, a year or so ago, and he said that he is one of those commentators who doesn't really like to talk too much. And often he needs a prod to someone saying, come on, it's time for you to say something. So how often do you have to do that? And at the same time, how often do you have to balance that out with somebody who is probably talking too much and to say, hey, can you just sort of take it easy for a bit? Yeah, so these are also defined. These are also the function of the roles that you give them sometimes because the lead will have to be heard quite a lot. Now, there are certain commentators like, like you brought Pish into the conversation, like Pish or like, say, Nasir Hussain, um, who are equally comfortable as leads and equally comfortable as experts. So their, their job description just can change and they're very good at it. They're great at both. So um, sometimes when a natural lead is someone you are assigning the role of an expert or a color commentator to during a stint. Sometimes they can make the mistake of speaking too little, but uh, like you rightly said, you have to sometimes prod them into action. Um, and uh, it's, it's, let me say, it's not a very common problem, but it does happen from time to time. Um, so especially when stints are tighter and uh, the, the, the time they're on a stint is less. They, they are even more engaged. So um, when, when you give them long stints of, uh, there are many ways of working out stints. Uh, sometimes in 50 over games, a popular one was give them seven over stints. Sometimes it could fly if spinners were bowling. And sometimes if, if faster bowlers were bowling, it could take half an eternity. So occasionally the, there is that, that, um, that little ebb and flow and there will be times when things are quieter but then uh, the job of a producer becomes to sort of enliven those uh, passages and, and make them exciting provide enough material um, for the commentators to be very engaged with um, and, and get all of them to sort of react to things um, as, as often as possible so uh, yeah, it does happen, um, but not something that we face a lot, I must say. What about the, the reverse the other problem issue? Does is, that happen? Yeah, <laughs> I was just coming to that. The other, the, the other uh, problem happens more often than one thinks, but um, that's, again, if, if you roster well and if you have the right uh, names and the right mix of names uh, working together, uh, doesn't it should happen less and less. You try your best to sort of um, make it balanced in terms of um, one more likely or less likely to dominate the other. I mean, you don't want that situation. So uh, you're, you're trying your best to sort of move away from, from uh, I won't say rostering mistakes. Sometimes you can only play with the cards you're dealt with who's, who's available. But um, you try and... Um, Put, put, a, put a balanced sort of roster out there 
and and rostering good rostering actually can help uh, take a lot of these uh, smaller issues away um, like the ones that talk too much and the ones that talk too little um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, there, i there guess that balance you have to level. tell yeah and you have to tell on occasion you have to tell um, one of the commentators to sort of you know uh, to to put the mic down really Um, and it's the thing with the lip mic you know um sometimes it 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 causes an amount of confusion as well for um people who are newly into the into the commentary space which is a lip mic is something that you you have to lift it you make your point and then you're expected to put it down back down that works as a cue for the other guy to start uh talking as well um now uh, there are these fashionable headsets as well that that uh, a lot of broadcasters use I mean personally I still prefer the lip mic only because with the headset it gives you another unique problem of people talking over each other a lot and um especially when something interesting has happened there's a very good chance two people are talking together and the thing is for for our events because the archive of our event is extremely important because a lot of very special things happen in these world cups so you have to deal with uh, uh you know this is archive that's got to last forever you have to keep an eye on that as well uh, and it has a certain oh, value. highlights and certain other yeah. packages yeah yeah and not just highlights you have to remember that because these are world cups and a tight finish in a world cup or an exceptional innings in a world cup could be remembered for all time to come so you have to deal with it 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 it, it puts on the producer a certain kind of responsibility to sort of make sure that you have the right talent calling it because uh it's it's got to last forever really think of it like that so um so it's it's important that the big milestones are dealt with nicely um and and that you've got to sort of prep the lead commentator sometimes that okay this might come so during your stint think of a nice line um all these all these um commentary talent user obviously professionals and they are very very capable so all you have to do is just prod them and remind them that this might be coming so please be ready yeah in fact uh, abish uh, in that same interview brought up the exact same point that you said i was talking to him about that famous 2016 uh, moment when he called carlos brathwaite uh, sports yeah. sixes in calcutta and he said that you know he was telling me how that remember the name came up because he had yeah. mentioned it the previous day but the then function, he said yeah. yeah but then he clearly mentioned you and he said ajesh always says keep a line in mind and i actually didn't have it in mind it just came naturally because i'd used it but he said had i listened to ajesh i might have actually had that in mind before saying it which would have been helpful too so <laughs> yeah it was a funny one because um because it looked like england was going to win Yeah. So uh, uh, David Lloyd was the assigned lead, but he was very thinking on his toes as well at that point. Like he was very quick to sort of tell Bish to call that last one if if it goes for for a six. Yeah. But I do I do generally like to warn uh, talent, especially who are on rostered on that last stint. You always put capable people there, and um, and people who can really talk up big moments. Um, that's that that much is taken care of by the rostering. But then. you really do your bit even then and then try to remind them that you know something special is about to happen just make it special for us for everyone who's listening watching no pressure 
it's, it's a way for them as well to sort of leave a legacy because for a lot of them these moments will be remembered and and because these generally are big world events uh you know they what they did as a commentator this these, these sort of moments really add to that that legacy as well uh so it's important for everyone really and um generally because because of these world events there is i, I do remind them often of of the responsibility they have to sort of say something that that works for posterity really <laughs> and um uh, yeah, all of them are really uh, very uh, up for it all of the time and they're always looking for you know someone's 100 or someone's spectacular wicket or five wicket hold sort of give that the soundtrack it deserves um, yeah yeah and which and, brings me to the point about you know uh, one of the things i think that the producers in the icc particularly do really well uh, and I've, i've i'm saying this after observing various broadcasts is that they seem to get a certain tonality of the sort of the way in which the game is played you know a game every cricket match has a certain tone and a certain uh, rhythm to it and it is so important for the commentary and the production to get that in the ambience the same commentators in a sort of a different tournament or in a different event they seem to you know don't have that level of rhythm at least in totally in my experience so is that all down to production is that the like vital in terms of how the producer is guiding the whole thing yes i mean that that is a big part of it not saying that's the only thing but um kind kind of you to say what you just said but um for for our events and uh, i'm sure a lot of other big networks definitely do it as well which is um have uh sessions with with the commentary talent about about what this tournament is about what this occasion is about it's important to give context really so that they know as well and they work, working as part of the production rather than the production working for them really um just just to make everyone aware of of um of where your production is going as a team that really helps when the when the commentators then buy into it and then they play their part within the overall sort of structure of of where the broadcast is going um so then that's when you have that feeling that things are fitting together like all the pieces of jigsaw just come together and and a lot of that is down to uh, the producer on the day to sort of catch those moments catch the pulse of where the game is going and deal with it appropriately sometimes you don't need to do too much sometimes you can overkill it's just uh moving in and similarly moving out as well at some at some points to sort of um heighten the 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 experience sometimes especially during close finishes and everything the worst thing you can do is actually overproduce because that's not a time to look at various other things that is a time to just be there look at the tension on the faces the directors usually come on to, into their own and then they they are cutting for reactions they're cutting for crowd reactions at the end of every delivery almost and and they are building up that sense of anticipation and tension and excitement you're going to the dugout you're looking at faces you're looking at the nervous skipper the 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 coach um 
and 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 trying to get reactions off of the batters and the bowlers. So you're building up a story there. You're telling a story with just the pictures and 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 the ambience and everything that's going on there. Then the worst thing you can do is you know like play packages and go away from that moment. It's critical for a producer to know when to stay in the moment and when to sort of step away. Uh, when stepping away can mean adding to the product, and sometimes when not doing anything at all and just letting it breathe is the thing to do. It's just very important to sort of find those right moments and the rhythm, like you mentioned. Um, that that is the skill of a producer as well. Uh, you won't nail it all the time, but uh, for producers, as long as they nail it. most of the time it's 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 still a good result <laughs> no i think i think one of the advantages uh, you have is you immediately have that context which you just mentioned you know this is you're producing great tournaments uh, and which are going to stand the test of time i mean even if you take something like the icc world test championship you know it is like one event that is going to be remembered for a long time irrespective of if how how many ever years the test championship happens because it's the first time india new zealand final it happened so i think that itself gives your tournaments a gravitas which then can inform the rhythm of the thing unlike say a bilateral tournament which of course has its importance but it doesn't necessarily have that weight that a world cup game may have yeah absolutely and 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 to that i'll just say that we incredibly fortunate to be doing these big events because there's always context that automatically sort of arrives with the stature of the event and and what the teams are trying to do uh for bilaterals it's <clears throat> it's harder so i mean i have a lot of respect to the productions that do a lot of bilateral cricket actually and still make it a great experience to watch um because you're struggling for this sort of context quite often and you have to sort of invent a lot of it and be very um, you know good with your craft to sort of make it a very good viewing experience and 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 there are productions that do it really well also um and uh, i always look forward to those um especially uh, test cricket still mostly bilateral so the the sort of context that uh, that that productions weave in i mean now there's the world test championship but there always wasn't that but just to sort of um find that context find those stories work with the ebb and flow of the format and uh put a product out there that is that is brilliant to watch as well that is uh, a very special skill absolutely uh, which brings me to you know uh, just that one more point i want to bring on commentary is that you know all that you mentioned during the game uh, you know the the producer giving cues telling people that you know to adjust their uh, flow or the amount they're talking etc how much of feedback happens after the day's play or after the game because uh, ian chapel one of the things that he said in an interview is that you know when i used to work in the heyday of channel line i used to always get feedback but these days many people don't even give me feedback which i'm terribly disappointed with because i am constantly looking to improve but perhaps because of his stature or perhaps because of something people just stopped giving him feedback at some point so i want to understand how much of a back and forth happens between the commentators and the producers after the event or the game so i can't say for every production but uh, it is a very healthy thing to have that feedback channel and i i, I can imagine uh, i've personally been in situations where as a young producer starting out especially where there are 
commentators that sometimes don't want to listen as in they're like look i've played the game for 20 years what do you know but they came with that attitude mm-hmm. not that anyone actually verbalized it but sometimes there are those that that uh, you occasionally sort of um, stay away from chipelli is not one of those but uh, just as a general statement sometimes there are there are uh, personalities like that but i think also the skill of a producer and a director i would say is to also find that common ground with the commentary talent and be able to approach them and speak to them because the very important part like you rightly said is a very important part of the development of that of that commentator not just uh, generally but but you want them to do a certain job on your broadcast at least so there is a certain amount of feedback that is necessary to bring uh, the commentator onto the same page as the production and that can only work through you know feedback after the game sometimes you can dress it up well saying this is what you did brilliantly and this is what we like you to do more of um but but that feedback channel is very important i'd say and does enough of that happen uh, i certainly hope so uh, but probably not not everyone needs to be spoken to after every game but generally i can i can uh, i can tell you from our events that as a general statement when there is something someone's done really well or not we sort of have our ways to let them know it might not always be a a a, a stern word or anything i mean these a lot, quite a lot of the time once you uh, once you have that um, relationship with with a commentator um they know that you're only saying this to make them better so they are quite receptive as well so i just say that yes there may be occasions there may be uh, instances where we could do that better but by and large as a general statement it's something that uh, that that is done yeah i mean i bring that up also because i mean in this uh, day and age of social media commentary gets such a rap you know i mean it's a it's such an easy target and uh, i myself have gone after commentators for uh, various aspects and many people do but at the same time there's also the balancing act of how challenging their job actually is and live broadcasts bring its own challenges and how much of the feedback do you take seriously and how much of it do you actually you know ignore is <laughs> a challenge yeah. for you i'm sure yeah yeah i mean social media i mean sometimes there are people that you listen to and there are a lot of people that you don't listen to <clears throat> so it's it's just that job of filtering it's uh, funny enough it's an it's a very instant feedback mechanism <clears throat> but you just got to be careful who you're listening to because uh people can easily go off on a tangent and say things as well so <clears throat> we generally uh tell the commentators not to take it too seriously until and unless we tell them that this is a problem um because there there are a lot of voices out there and, you know it's not always very pleasant it's not a very pleasant space so <clears throat> wait you don't want their confidence rattled either um so generally tell them not to take it seriously although i don't know in in realistic terms how that plays out because i can't imagine if if whatever i was doing if my work was under scrutiny like this all of the time how i'd be able to perform uh they're also human beings at the end of the day so uh i actually sometimes when i see something where i just hope they don't see it because 
there's usually quite a good reason for why somebody said something more often than not. And, and there's pretty good reason from either a workflow perspective or, or whatever, uh, or what they were expected to say or the role they had on that particular day, which might have uh, played a big part in either what they said or, or didn't. And, and, you know, you don't expect the public outside to know that and, and, and react appropriately or proportionately. Um, so from that perspective, you try and tell your commentary talent not to look at social media a lot because not a lot of that criticism is informed. Sometimes it is, but it's up to you to sort of filter that and, and, and give them that. Yeah, I mean, it's but it's not just the public, right, Ajesh? It's also players themselves who are now going, starting to go after some commentators. And then that amplifies things to such an extent that the commentator then becomes the villain. And it, it yeah. becomes, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's the reality of the world we live in. Uh, and social media has, has become what it is today. So, uh, I mean, in, in, for most people who are in the spotlight, this is, this is part of the territory now. And I honestly don't know what the answer to that is because it's, it must be hard to be, you know, to have every bit of your work scrutinized and, 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 and you can't win all the time because somebody will take offense. I mean, as a commentator, your job might be to sort of point something out, but somebody or the other will take offense and react to that and then things will spiral. Uh, I think just as... Uh, a network or as executive producers, part of your job is to sort of uh, is to sort of tell them that, okay, what you said, it was okay. Or it was expected of you. You were just doing your job and sort of give them that, that clarity at least. The worst position you can put them in is if they're not sure how to go about their, their work. Yeah. I mean, the here's the dilemma, right? I mean, the, uh, nobody wants to listen to boring commentary, but at the same time, anything that is even remotely, uh, you know, provocative or remotely uh, bold, as you mentioned, you know, you ask people to go out on a limb, but very often they're wrong. And that then gets amplified into, oh, look how foolish he comes across. So, but at the same time, he took the, he had the courage to actually say something rather than just sit on the fence, which would be boring. So, yeah. you know, it's a fine line. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and it's amplified because of social media now and the, the access people have to these uh, commentators as well. There, this, this very much might have been the case earlier, but there was no common space for people to vent their frustrations <laughs> at one, on one platform. So now that that's been enabled, um, I think as we move ahead, I'm sure this is not an exclusive problem for cricket commentators. There are politicians and all other famous people in various walks of life who are facing the exact same dilemma. So it's 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 something for the famous to work out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, which brings me to you know uh, another very fundamental question, which may seem very uh, amateurish uh, for you, but it is. Uh, I am curious to know. Back when I started watching cricket, you know, it was very common to see a batsman hitting a ball and the camera moving in a direction where the ball is not going, where the ball is not at all traveling, and then it would immediately shift again and it would go. We don't see any of that these days. So is the reason for that just more number of cameras? So if one camera misses it, the other one catches it? Or is it uh, something more fundamental that I'm missing? Uh, 
uh, I think tech is a lot better now to start with. So, and, and the number of specialists you have, that, that pool has also increased a lot. So back in the day, you might have a ball follow cameraman whose who's job is to do exactly what you said, just follow the ball. Uh, so there is, there is a, a formula to, to camera cutting when the, when the live delivery is happening. Um, so until the point that the ball is released, you have a particular camera. Uh, once you know that's hit some, to some part of the ground, there's another camera that takes over and does the ball follow uh, before you go on to the reactions and whatnot. So uh, the ball follow cameramen today are specialists who work on the same camera, doing the same thing most of the time. So they're really good at their job. Uh, you, you'd have the odd mistake now and again. That usually happens with leading edges and things like that because, because the bat is going a certain direction. So the ball follow cameraman is taking his or her cues and going that way. And then it's a leading edge, just like everyone else. Occasionally they get fooled as well. And then you have to move back. But um, by and large, uh, their viewfinders are great. The, the equipment they're working with is great. Um, the, the, the grounds are properly lit. Um, so uh, you can still lose the ball occasionally but um, doesn't happen that often. Um, back in the day also, you had fewer cameras and fewer, fewer the, the, the things you had to work with were fewer as well. So um, in case somebody missed something, there was no camera to cut to from the other end, which could, I suppose there's a high catch, you quite often see a camera cut from the other end, just showing the field and taking the catch. That sort of thing was just not possible in another time. The same person would have to then find the fielder and, the ball follow cameraman would have to sort of show a considerable bit of the action. Uh, yeah, I, I just I just put that down to specialists, more number of specialists, more number of cameras, uh, better tech. So all of that is so, important. And the modern broadcast is actually quite sophisticated. Two of the things that I really, really wished uh, would be in the coverage was one was, of course, the uh, the fielding uh, uh, chart showing where yeah. the field fielders are, and I'm glad that you added that for the 2019 World Cup. I think maybe was it even before that, or was it for the 2019? Yeah, so earlier before 2019, we uh, there were productions that had a similar graphic, but they were not live. So there was a manual operator who, after each ball, had to sort of adjust. And uh, on many occasions, when you wanted to go to it, it wouldn't be ready because the the operator would still be following the fielder's movement. So the thing you needed to do was really make it live and, and put tech in that sort of solve for that. So yeah, the 2019 World Cup was, was one of the first instances where you actually saw it live and, um, and, and uh, then you could just go to it anytime. So anytime the, the commentators would mention, you could just cut to it. And, and now that's, that's a staple. Well, most broadcasters use it. Uh, and I think it's been a, a fantastic addition as well because uh, unlike batting and bowling, fielding is the least analyzed uh, discipline in cricket. Yeah, um, the least data available for fielding. It's, yeah. it's, that's because it's so subjective because uh, how one logger might log it as, you know, uh, you know wh whether there was a possibility of a second run that was saved or not. Uh, it's very difficult to sort of standardize that. And, and uh, even in, in, in commentary, when... Sometimes what does qualify as a drop catch? I mean, if, if the ball is on the full and if you get your hand to it, that is a drop catch or if you get any part of the body to it. But at the same time, sometimes for better fielders, 
they might actually get to the ball and therefore it might be a drop catch. Otherwise, it would have just passed by. So then it's it's up to the person logging it whether to call it. You know, if if it is a difficult chance, do you still log it as a missed opportunity or not? So uh, there is that problem of subjectivity which cricket still hasn't fully solved, uh, and and therefore that has an impact on the runs something is caused, uh, missed opportunity is caused, or or run saved in the field. Um, so while we have those metrics available to us, uh, there is a degree of subjectivity still. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think that the whole uh, that ICC sort of the fielding uh, uh, graphic, uh, where it can really help, of course, if uh, enough people have access to that records. I don't know if uh, how many people have access to that other other than the ICC. But if they do, then I can see in the future it moving towards the NBA kind of spatial modeling where you know you can actually spatially model how different batsmen different people set different fields to different players and where the ball goes etc i mean there can there are spatial possibilities there yes absolutely and and the the challenge is while at this point only some tournaments employ it some broadcasts employ it others don't so any data that you have is good for that event really um and doesn't go beyond which is frustrating but um but yeah i mean these these are challenges that that uh, i'm sure uh, we'll find a way to solve sooner than later uh, the way it, it can only get better <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well <laughs> yeah. well are the other are the other question i have is oh sorry you were saying yeah no no we are at the infancy of of, of that project so uh, let's see how this space develops um yeah i mean like i'm said, i'm uh, thrilled I'm it, thrilled it that it's at the beginning. <laughs> yes, it should, and it it will, and it should, and I think uh, you know, uh, people in the ICC and people who have this data uh, can really, uh, you know, in the future when the number of uh, uh, when the data samples increase, I think the possibilities are quite endless. The other thing I wanted to ask is, in terms of camera angles alone, you know, again, when I started watching cricket, I used to really enjoy the camera angle where the which was facing the bowler. and i felt my appreciation of bowling is largely due to that of course now uh, over many many years that has changed and we never see that angle anymore but has there been any kind of thought that maybe bring that back for some phases of the game or some maybe small bits i think that reverse angle uh, as we call it is still it's still available obviously because um, there are uh, camera operators specifically doing that angle uh, every ball sure. so that is still available but um i think there is a certain audience expectation now i mean i know that very discerning sort of viewers might have um uh, like this very specific asks but i think by and large the expectation is to see the game from front on uh back in the day there wasn't enough cameras so you could only cover it from one side um and you had one gantry and and cameras on that gantry so every alternate over you you'd see the reverse angle basically so i think the minute uh cricket coverage the specs increased to covering it from both sides that is one of the first things that went out of the game what i what i what's interesting is that's still available as a replay angle obviously so whenever we whenever there's a new bowler especially a faster bowler who comes to bowl uh in the very first over you'll see quite a lot of output from that angle as a reverse angle and you'll see you'll see the run up um or or from from any from at least one of the angles you'll see the run up of the bowler 
Uh, you'll see the ball release, that sort of thing. So while it is still available in in and and it gets on the broadcast and fits and starts, obviously not as a live angle anymore, uh, because largely the audience expectation is to see cricket from front on now, and there is the tech to do it and the number of yeah. cameras and spec to enable it. Understandable, understandable. I will I will resign myself to being the minority here. Uh, however, okay, so, uh, however, I must yeah. say that uh, sorry, just just to interrupt, there is. Uh, the way it's going to go in the future is once um, once uh, all of the angles are available on digital platforms separately, perhaps, then each viewer will probably get to decide where to watch cricket from. And, and that, that could be the future. I mean, it largely depends on how, how the markets grow and, and, and how things uh, play out in the media rights, uh, on the media rights side of things. But uh, I don't think we're far from uh, a situation where uh, you could potentially have uh, on on certain platforms the ability to choose your angle. Then you'll be able to watch it from wherever. And and choose your commentary team as well, hopefully, at some point. <laughs> that, that might be a stretch because that'll need to be done physically. No, yes, I mean, so many, I'm, I'm saying yeah. there should be there should be two or three different options that are actually being done for every game. I mean, the, you know, classic commentary, the geeky commentary, various, and no commentary yeah. maybe even. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the easiest option you can just read the remote. <laughs> have that. But, um, but yeah. Uh, start no, no, not remote, not remote. I want the ambient sound. I want ambience, the ambient sound. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Star in India obviously have been pioneers in, in, in getting their select feed out, which is which is uh, address the the more discerning cricket fan. So there there will be broadcasters around the world who will offer uh, as time goes by uh, more of these services. And and around the world there have been experiments in other sports certainly uh, for uh, kids commentary, for instance, have a kids feed. Um, and that's happened in cricket as well, and and. In, non-serious sort of uh, a lighter commentary, lighter, breezier commentary style. Uh, things are being um, are, are being tried. I think uh, in the Indian subcontinent, so we've had quite a lot of experiments like this. Um, and in times to come, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of this. And, and what you just mentioned now might, might well be reality uh, in the not too distant future. Okay. Um, and... Which, uh, you know, takes me to another question. And again, uh, I don't know whether this is in your ambit or not, but it definitely will be in your ambit during live games when, you know, a director, producer, sometimes during a game may come across footage that uh, they may not necessarily, uh, they may be in a moral dilemma whether to show or not, because it could be an extremely controversial moment. They could have, they could sense that this could cause a lot of uh, controversy in the world of cricket. And then you have to decide what to show, what not to show, who to focus on. And of course, there has been, you know, uh, moments like uh, not ICC events, but, you know, Sandpaper Gate was, of course, the most recent such moment. And then there have also been a lot of chat about how uh, uh, home broadcasters tend to uh, have a certain say in these matters. And, you know, none of it, of course, is proven and none of it is known, but there are murmurs in that regard. But purely as a live producer, you know, how do you deal with this? Is there something, someone you go to, or is it just your gut instinct that you use? How does that work? So there's no real code for this sort of thing, to be fair. I mean, there are murmurs, obviously. I can't 
I don't know if, if, if that's true or not, to be fair. Uh, there, there, there are a number of things that, that could come into, uh, into the ambit of this. I mean, for instance, sometimes you see, uh, you see vision that you can't broadcast for obvious reasons on air. So obviously that won't make the cut. Uh, sometimes you have messaging that you don't want to put on air. It could be like somebody going out with a protest message or something. Yeah, which I mean, it's yeah. not our place to decide on politics on on the right and wrongs of things. These are questions far beyond us, um, and and you probably not want the broadcast to be hijacked by messaging like that. Um, so so there are there are things that you try and stay away from. Sometimes it's not even possible because you're just cutting. Uh, to reactions and you something just comes up, it comes up. But uh, we try and be careful. Like, yeah, you, you brief your camera ops, the directors alert, do uh, certain kinds of things. Like especially uh, a common one is messaging. Like if if it's in a language that you don't speak, you just don't know what's what's on those banners, right? So uh, you have to be very careful with that as well. So you, you need to just make sure that someone on the crew has seen it and understood it and is not offensive. It could just basically be someone's wearing for instance so so you yeah. try and avoid things that you can avoid uh but uh more to your point to what teams do deliberately uh sandpaper gate type issues i mean there's no hard and fast code really um as a producer i like to think that uh, you go on the evidence of what you see and you put it out there and and the judgment is not for you to make it's for someone who's more experience than you maybe a, a commentator is in a better position to sort of see what what's happening there i mean um and and i'd, I'd like to believe that you put it out there and then um uh, and uh, the public or the viewers or the commentators can try and help decipher some of that and then the viewers can decide for themselves. It's not an ideal world, obviously. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that happens uh, a lot, but at the same time, um, if you if you have shots uh, and if you see something, if you spot something, uh, I'd like to think that that it's there for, uh, for public consumption. Uh, you're not at the same time trying to be naughty and trying to run a certain narrative. That's not nice either. Um, because you're trying to do justice to the game also at the same point. If, um, if, if there's been a mistake, sometimes what we, what we talk about, um, and, and this is an evolving space where uh, several of us have made mistakes in the past, but you, you try and think how you deal with it better next time, is, is when you see a bad umpiring decision, you know it's bad. You've, you've put it out there, you've addressed it, You've moved on. Now, how many times do you bring it back? Because there are some commentators often who feel that you should see it, you should revisit it at every, every, at every possible opportunity. And then as a storyteller, you're thinking, well, shouldn't you move on with the game? So uh, I'd always say, address it. You've done your bit and then move on. And then... Uh, these things are subjective again. Um, some some other producer might turn around and say, but that is that changed the whole course of the match, so why not take a look at it? And that's fair as well. Uh, well, but personally, um, I, I, I'd like to believe that if, if 
I wasn't put in a position like that. And if I saw footage like that, I'd play with, play it, address it, then move on. Uh, but there are many ways of looking at it. And there's no one correct answer for a lot of questions in life. This is one of those. I mean, I guess the other issue with the ICC, I mean, you can clarify this, but the other issue is that also yeah. the umpires are ICC umpires, right? So how much are the ICC broadcasts going to criticize ICC umpires? Isn't that Look, like... It's plain to see. You've made a poor decision. It's plain to see that it is a poor decision. I mean, there's, yeah. you, you can't hide behind it beyond a point. <laughs> and Absolutely. But at the same time, you wouldn't want to uh, make it appear as if that was the... Uh, uh, the be-all and end-all in that game, right? I mean, it was, the, the game went on much longer and there were other moments and etc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, you this often pops up at our events, to be fair. You try and address it and then move on. And the one thing I try and remind commentators is only that umpires are human as well. And occasionally when they make a good decision, please applaud them because you're going to criticize the hell out of them when, when they <laughs> make a mistake. So when they give a particularly good decision, never fail and appreciate that. And and I'd say that for for anyone really, uh, not not because uh, it's an umpire, but umpires, it, it's a hard job. And uh, what they do, when I mean, they only come into focus when the wrong decisions are made, uh, never for the right ones. And and I, I still think that commentators should also applaud when when a good decision is made. And some of them remember to do it even when they go on to other broadcasts. Some others don't, which is all fine. I mean, um, at the end of the day, we are all here to sort of uh, do good cricket broadcasts and 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 serve entertainment to the public. So, uh, which brings me to the final part of this, uh, Ajesh. You've b- been working in broadcast for so long. Uh, please uh, give us like one game or two games or something that you know from a producer's point of view or from an executive producer's point of view. Somebody who is in the background which will always stay with you. It could be a moment, it could be the end of a game, it could be the start of a game. Something that you feel that, you know, tested you and yet you sort of mem- remember it memorably for coming through that and doing a great job and you're proud of. Don't tell me every game is the same. Don't give me the cliched, all no, games are equal and all that. <laughs> You've put me on the spot now and I'm just trying to take recency bias out of the picture. <laughs> okay, okay. Those are the ones you remember the best. There are a few moments which which stand out, uh, both as a producer and an executive producer. Um, as a producer, there's a few. Uh, uh, 2011 World Cup was obviously a highlight. There was um, the semi-final in Mohali, actually, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the final was great as well, of course, but the semi-final especially. The atmosphere was something else, and, and India versus Pakistan is always special. Um, and just doing justice to, to sort of the production and doing a big match like that and uh, getting that whole sense of atmosphere and tension and, and getting the narrative right more than wrong um, and, and getting that match out was, was, was an early highlight. I really enjoyed that. Um, the the final was brilliant for the atmosphere and and that was a very good case of not overproducing when you don't need to when when the event and the situation and everything that's 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 being played out in front of you is is doing most of the storytelling um but that was more for the occasion really um then i i i definitely say a 
a really interesting passage of play I enjoyed tremendously was this game in Adelaide, uh, Pakistan, South Africa, Pakistan, Australia, where Wahab Riaz was pulling on oh, those, yes. uh, short one to Shane Watson. Uh, a really special passage of play, and I had an EBS red operator who was brilliant on that day and and was so on the pulse of everything that was going on. It was um, just creating a beautiful storytelling uh, passage of play there, just replay packages and obviously commentary adding to it. Um, and that was a really special passage of play um, that I well remember to this day. Um, as executive producer, it's just, you're trying to do your best to create a situation where people can excel and do well. So, um, and an early highlight was actually um, the Women's World Cup in 2017. Um, it was quite special. At, at very short notice, um, there were several folks at the ICC who, who really played a blinder. And although our media rights contracts didn't, um, didn't uh, really force us to uh, produce telecast all games, there was there was a, a very late sort of decision to to get uh, ten games broadcast at a certain spec and the other games broadcast well, but at a at a, at a different spec. And within a couple of months, uh, I was able to sort of pull that together. And it, it happened at the back of another event, the Champions Trophy, as well. So it was a really busy time, but 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 managed to just get uh, reasonably good coverage for that event. Uh, doing full justice to that event. And there was this one particular match in Bristol that I really enjoyed where Chamari Akhtapattu was uh, uh, playing uh, one of the greatest innings I've seen um, against uh, Australia, who were, I think, the defending champions at the time and sort of looked unbeatable even then. But here was truly one of the great innings in uh, women's cricket that... Uh, just by the fact that we managed to pull together a uh, uh, production setup at, at short notice, we uh, managed to save it, and that footage exists. Just, just, oh, okay. just the joy of that itself is is uh, is quite something for me. Um, and, and lovely I, I, ground too, right? Bristol. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. No, I'm yeah. saying lovely uh, ground too, Bristol. I mean, it must be interesting to produce games from grounds of various sizes as well. And Bristol is a very distinctively small ground. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was taking nothing away from that innings though, which was very special against a oh, very sure. great Australian, against a great Australian side. Um, that, that was a, that was a, a, a highlight. Similarly, um, getting most things right for the Cricket World Cup in 2019 overall and getting the, uh, getting the, production done for that was was uh, quite something I really enjoyed. And that uh, Super Over in the end was one of those experiences that, that uh, our, uh, I guess, once in a lifetime. <laughs> you never expect a game of cricket to go that far in the final, but but it did. And uh, we just had the right people and the right, um, right tools there to sort of make it a memorable occasion and, and that's the sort of thing you hope you'd be able to do at most games and 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 serve a viewership. But by the barest of margins. 
and to talk about the, and I really appreciated how you actually you know followed up on that recently in the women's world cup when nasser hussein met ian smith yeah. in new zealand yeah. and he gifted him that uh, uh, work of art from that final yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we may or may not have engineered that process just to make this piece possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but it's great that you know you continued with that story because you know that is what we as fans look forward to it's it's not only a moment that happened but keeping it alive in the in the imagination with uh you know a production like this yeah yeah i mean it it was it was begging to be done to be fair <laughs> and, oh yes, uh, yes and uh, both of them have been uh, pretty spectacular at our events um they were they both uh, two of the best commentators really and uh even in the all time stakes i mean they'll i'm sure they'll go down as as very special commentators and it's, it's always been a privilege to work with them and the great thing is how much they gave this women's world cup as well now the thing is the rostering for a event like the women's world cup is quite tricky rostering in the sense is figuring out which commentators to go with not every male commentator who's a good commentator otherwise will excel at this sort of event because they really uh, and it's true for under 19 events it's true for many events actually uh, all apart from the senior events events you really have to sometimes do your homework and be familiar with with uh players you might not have seen a lot of and and to their great credit i think nasser watches a lot of cricket he watches a lot of women's cricket as well and 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 spiti did as well um and they really did justice to this tournament and neither of them were ever underprepared uh it's one thing you're always a little scared of um that you'll you'll have some of the talent coming across as as best than prepared you, you can't obviously get the perfect panel all of the time you 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 take some decisions um a lot of it will be right some of it might not but uh in this case i mean both of them were uh gave a lot to the event and um really they were really up for it fantastic um i was uh, just before the recording i was telling ajesh how two of my my two girls you know thoroughly enjoyed watching the uh, matches from the world cup and how uh, you know there are two new women's cricket fans now in this world and uh, yeah thanks to you know the broadcast and watching it and seeing it and hopefully someday um you know we'll watch more cricket we'll hopefully maybe even play it and who knows uh, you know the it could all have begun with uh, women's world cup so thank you thank you for that and thank you for also for making the viewers uh, really understand the g- women's game better because there was this uh, you know i'll give you an example there was this montage when india played west indies uh, there was this uh, brief montage of uh, century scored by trish kamini in a previous edition of the world cup and to just see yeah and to and to just see you know uh, the celebration of that in this event and to talk about it and then to see kamini herself tweet about it and you know there is a certain lovely uh, sort of uh, community of cricket that develops because of that and people begin to appreciate the uh, past cricketers that much more so yeah thank you for bringing in the history of the game while covering the present as well glad to hear that i'll be i'll be asking for your feedback for our future events as well from your two little girls 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, some of it may be quite blunt, but I think you won't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, all right. <laughs> but this is this is the sort of praise we live for. This is the sort of, I mean, anecdotally, at least you want to hear how how people were influenced by this and how this was a start in in the cricketing journey of of of, of kids, basically. Um, and uh, just so glad that uh, some of our events actually managed to do that. Uh, yes, uh, this was wonderful, Ajesh. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for sparing all this time. I'm sure our listeners would greatly benefit from understanding what happens behind the scenes. And I have definitely learned uh, so much more about uh, cricket broadcasts than I knew before. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm actually quite piqued to learn much more and talk to more people and to read up more about all that happens. So thanks again for joining. Thank you, Siddhartha. Very kind and thanks for this opportunity as well. Oh, fantastic. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you again at some point. I'm sure there'll be so much other things to talk about. Uh, and uh, all the best. Uh, meanwhile, for our listeners, uh, the usual call out, 81allout.com is our website. Uh, please uh, rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to them. We're also, as you know, been uh, in getting into book publishing now. We published Mike Marcus's War Minus the Shooting. Originally published in 1996, we republished it recently, so you can pick it up, you know, on Amazon or anywhere else. I'll put the link and uh, yeah, spread the word, and we'll hopefully join you soon for the next episode. We'll come Thank back you. For the second. India have won the Test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India at home. Lords goes wild.